The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to have you here. It's good for those of you to join online as well. Again, like Corey said, um, if you need, a, if you haven't been baptized, man, we'd encourage you in that and hope that you'll be a part of it. We're excited about that next week. And so you can use a connection card and put it in the offering plate when you go out the door, and we'll reach out to you and help you make um, that that take that step of obedience toward the Lord. I, I was like, I went to the back today in the lobby, man, and I guess the front, I should say, and I was like, man, what are all these people doing here so early? Nobody ever shows up early. And I, Don, Don, we got an extra hour, so you guys were just, uh, uh, you had an extra hour of sleep. And so anyway, it's good to uh, fall back, I suppose, and I, I don't know if I like that or not, but um, here we are anyway. And uh, if you have your Bibles, man, um, <laughs> turn to Haggai. Y'all know where that's at? Haggai. Everybody say Haggai. This is kind of fun to say. <laughs> uh, Haggai is the third to the last book in the Bible. Now, last week we talked about, I sort of left you with the big idea of be the remnant. Like, be the remnant. Man, God always has a remnant of people. And man, I, I'm just fascinated. The, the more I've been studying these books, the Lord is just many, he's, he's just showing me things that I've, I've never thought about before. And, um, you know, just, they're just new and fresh for me. And I'm really enjoying the experience. Uh, but I, I was thinking a lot about the remnant, you know, as the Lord always has a remnant. He had people that stayed back in Jerusalem when they were carried out in captivity to Babylon. And so he told them, you know, we looked at all of these first nine prophets of the minor prophets. So we've got these 12, the last 12 books of the Bible. And the first nine are all uh, pre-exile, meaning that they're going to be overthrown, their government's going to be overthrown, their city's going to be destroyed, and they're going to be carried away as slaves into captivity. So they became a nation as slaves. God led them out of bondage through Moses, gave them a law, made them into a nation, and said, this is good, this is how you follow me. And they rebelled against that. They disobeyed God, and God continued to warn them and said, man, it's not good for you when you don't pay attention to what I've said to you and what my word is for you. And if you continue to do that, there will be um, consequences for it, and they eventually find themselves being led back into captivity. And this was prophesied that it would happen. And so uh, we get to Haggai, and we start with the last three books of the Bible, and they are known as post-exile, meaning people are going back to Jerusalem. And so they um, are released from captivity. And so they've been in captivity, I think, around uh, 70 years or so. And um, Cyrus um, issues uh, King Cyrus, not a Jerusalem king or, or Israel's king, he issues a decree permit, permitting the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple, okay? So they're in Babylon, and it's kind of like, man, we would be taken away, and they took us all to China. And then they said, you can go back, and you can rebuild um, a church, okay? That's kind of what these people were dealing with. Um, now, of, of course, Christianity was different than it is now. Um, following uh, the Jewish God was different because it was all driven by their faith in, and belief in God and following the law. It was prior to Jesus coming as the Messiah and, and fulfilling all that the law 
um, could not fulfill because people couldn't keep it perfectly. And so it was a different um, experience than ours, but it was still a faith experience. They still had to believe. And so now, like, they, they're, really, they're like, you can go back and build this, this temple, which was the center of everything about their, their nation because it represented the presence of God. So you go back and you think about the Ark of, Co- of the Covenant in the Old Testament, and Moses was commanded to build this ark, and they put the tablets in there, and they put um, Aaron's um, uh, uh, staff in there, and, and uh, the, d- different things that had this real significance. And, and what happened was is the presence of God, the glory of God, rested on this ark, and it was the ark of the covenant. And what was the covenant? The covenant was, I have chosen you, I'm your God, and I'm going to be with you, Israel. You worship me. And so God's presence on the planet was represented by that ark. And they first built a temporary tabernacle that was a tent. Okay, and, and so they had the tent of meetings and all of the tabernacle that would, could be mobile and moved around while they were wandering, waiting to be settled in the promised land. Because again, they were suffering consequences from their disobedience. But eventually they rested in the promised land and they have their first king that... Um, King Saul, he rebels, so the second king, King David, is a man after God's own heart, and David wants to build the temple, and God doesn't allow him to build the temple because he says, man, you've got too much blood on your hands, but I'm going to let your son build it. And so David amasses all kinds of material, and they build this incredibly glorious temple. And, um, and, and when it is committed, and Solomon uh, praise a prayer of commitment about this temple. It says the Shekinah glory of God. That, and that just means the most intense glory of God you could ever see. That they had been following this pillar of fire and so on. God had been represented by it. Now it, it, it's going to come to rest on the temple. And so the Ark of the Covenant was placed inside of the temple and it was in the place that was called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. And it was protected by a veil so that men and women wouldn't see it because it was uh, the presence of God was in this place. And so this temple that they were so proud of, that God told them to build, that God provided for them all of the resources to build, had been destroyed. It was Solomon's temple. It was glorious. And now it was leveled. And so they're told while they're in Babylonian captivity, the, the, the foreign king says, you can go back and rebuild your temple. And so about 47,000, maybe 50,000 of them go. There are a lot of them that didn't go. A lot of them weren't even, they were born in Babylonian captivity, and they had found and made lives for themselves, and so they stayed in Babylon. They liked it there. They were uh, making money, and, but, but some of them felt the call of God. And again, we see the remnant, okay? So there's always a remnant with God. I don't care what you're, you're studying um, in the Bible. You will always find a remnant of people. And I think that as we look at today, I think you could still say there's a remnant of people. And we would go, man, you could look at church, the church symbolically, and you could say, well, the church as a whole, all of the church, people who claim to be a part of the church, and they claim to believe, I think we could kind of equate them a little bit to Israel. We say, you got all of Israel, it is a nation. But then there is a remnant within, in Israel that believes then they truly follow the Lord. They truly belong to the Lord. All that are in Israel are not saved. And so I think we could look at the church and go, there's the church and all of these people who are gathered all around the country and they're all like, say, man, well, I believe in Jesus. And there's a remnant within that. And the remnant within that are truly the ones who belong to Jesus. 
And I think you could see that. So it doesn't matter that you go to church somewhere or you say that I believe. You might be scratching your head. Well, this doesn't sound right. Well, it's right, bro. Like the Bible says that even the demons in hell believe that Jesus was, was the son of God. But they are not right with God. And so just merely saying that you believe Jesus existed and even that you believe he was God in the flesh doesn't mean that you are a part of the remnant and that you've been chosen by God and you are in a relationship with him. So it's very important. It's very important as you think that you're raising children, like you want to raise children where they can see somebody who really believes and understands and knows and is walking out that they are in the remnant. Because the future of your kids and, and they're, they're all of, through all eternity is, is, is so, it's so important that they see a good model of what it means to follow Jesus. As Sean quoted the Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And he talks about worshiping God and putting him before everything. And he says, man, put it all over your house. When you're walking along the road, when you're hanging out with your kids, when you're eating, talk about it. And, and the idea is that they need to see that you actually are living it. Not that you just say that you believe it and you just drag them to church once, in a, once a week, but that you really do believe it and it has altered everything about your life. That's what we mean, or, or I mean when I say be the remnant. Okay, and so there is a transaction that happens which God has paid the price for um, us to be forgiven and be a part of the remnant, and he's given us a free will that we can choose to follow him, and we can, when he makes the invitation and says, man, I've chosen you, we can accept and we can walk in obedience with him, and that's what lordship and salvation is all about, okay? So when we get to Haggai, and these 47,000 people uh, that go back, they are a part of the chosen remnant to go back. And God is talking to them. Okay, so when we, a lot of these books got, that we've looked at, God has been talking to the nation, all right? And sometimes he's talking to not only the nation of Israel, but the surrounding nations. In Haggai, he's talking to the remnant in the nation. Okay, it's very specific. And Haggai um, parallels with the book of uh, Ezra, and it's about Zerubbabel's temple and, and being rebuilt. Okay, so, so when, when God is talking to them, what you have to understand, I want to, you know, the Lord has given me a word here. I don't know how it's going to come out, but it's going to come out somehow, all right? But one of the things I want you to hear is it's a lot of work to go back to ruins. They were living in Babylon, the New York City of their day. The economy was great. The experiences were great. The things you could provide with your family were great. And God calls them back to ruins. The city has been destroyed. The walls are broken down. The temple is no more. It has been ransacked. All of its former glory is gone. There is nothing there but a few people. So you go back to that. And so they go back, and it's a lot of work, and they were really busy building because they had to start over. And when you realize that you are chosen of the Lord, then one of the things that has to happen is that you start over with him, okay? You start over from ruins. Now, what, is the, what are the ruins? One of the things the Lord was showing me is it's not your stuff, 
It's not that. Like that, that's not it. What, what the ruins are is when you, when you come to a place where you go, man, I believe Jesus was the Messiah. I believe he has chosen me and invited me to walk with him. And I want to give him my life and surrender to him as Lord and Savior. Then there should be ruins in your mind. All of the pillars of your thinking and the way that you've been doing life should come down. And now you start to think like Jesus. And sadly, what we have conditioned in the church, the greater part, and we've allowed to go on this teaching, um, what has happened, I think, is we've just taught people, as long as you say a prayer, you say, A, B, C, Jesus loves me, acknowledge my sin, believe on Jesus, and confess that you are saved. And I don't think that's the case. Now, you certainly can't be saved without that happening. But if you are saved, and you have been forgiven, and you become part of the remnant, then the pillars of your thinking in your mind will come down, and you won't think like you used to think. You will start thinking like Jesus. You will take on the mind of Christ. You will start um, wanting to follow in his footsteps. You will start wanting to exercise faith. You will start recognizing your sin and have a, a heart of confession and repentance. And you will start desiring to walk in obedience. And so that's a lot of work, man. Now, that work doesn't make you right with God, but when you're right with God, you want to do that work. And that's very important. You don't get right with God and go, well, as long as I'm right with God, the work is optional. No, it is not optional. The work is proof that the thing that has happened in your life has transformed you. And Jesus said, you shall know whether people really know me by their fruit. Are they engaged in the work of the kingdom? And so that's kind of what it looks like. And, and so uh, we look at these ruins and we, we go back and we take on the mind of Christ. Now, geez, I thought the sermon would be short, which 20 to, to 11, <laughs> and we haven't even read a verse yet, man. But uh, here we go. Let's look at this book, because I, I, I wanted to take all that time and lay this out, because you're going to see, raise your hand if you've read the book of Haggai. Okay, keep your hand up if you're lying. No, I'm not, <laughs> and not, so not very many. It's, it's, not, it's not a very familiar book. It's, a, it's an awesome book. Now, here's how it starts. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So the word of God comes to Haggai, he's the prophet, and God stirs him up, and then it mentions the, the leader of the religion and the leader of the, 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 the governing leader himself, and, and, and then it would be indicative, like this word comes to all the people because they're responsible for leading the people. And here's my first takeaway for you today, is a word is always coming to the remnant. A word from the Lord is always coming to the remnant remnant. He speaks to us. And I'm reminded of what Jesus taught so eloquently in John chapter 10 about him being the good shepherd. And, and, and boy, this is going to sound like some familiar preaching if you've been coming here very long. You say, man, he talks about this a lot. 
And I talk about it and repeat it a lot because the Bible repeats it a lot. And I think if the Bible repeats it, I should probably repeat it. And that is, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They listen and they follow. Okay? So God is speaking to us. And, and I want you to be encouraged this morning that a word of God comes and continues to come, um, and he's always speaking to us. Now, and me as a, a, a pastor, a preacher of the word, from Haggai, it was a new revelation, meaning God was revealing something that he hadn't before, a new word that would be preserved, okay? So like 2,500 years ago, God spoke to Haggai, and it was so powerful, and, and there was such a move of God behind the entire experience that it was recognized that this is the word of God. And so we, are, we read it and we study it today as a, as a new word. Now, now, I'm preaching from that word, but when I say God speaks, I don't mean that he gives a new word, okay? What happens is we come to a new understanding of something he's already said. And so as we study the word and we, we are looking for God to move and, and, and we're living our lives and we're busy about parenting and working and, and earning a living and all of these things, then we need to understand that God is speaking to us. Like God is where he wants to say something to you today. He wants to say something to you tomorrow. He's going to say something the next. Like I'm fascinated that, that, that God is just constantly speaking to me and I'm having these conversations with God. And, he, it, and I think that's what Paul means when he says, pray without ceasing. Okay, so me and Shay, we talk a lot, right? And so I'm so, I'm, I'm so blessed to have a, such an incredible uh, team, uh, a staff uh, here at the church. And we talk a lot, and we, and we talk about things, and, and we, we're catching up about ministry stuff. We're catching about, of course, up about hunting stuff. And just, man, we just talk, okay? Now, I talk to the Lord a lot more than I talk to Shay, okay? And I have these conversations with the Lord. I have them when I'm driving. I have them when I'm, I, I just constantly am talking to the Lord and he's constantly speaking to me. <laughs> and that's what it means to be a part of the remnant. Is that God, you're like, well, wait a minute, man, like that's not happening for me. Are you saying I'm not part of the remnant? I'm not gonna say that you're not part of the remnant, but I'm gonna say you're acting like someone who's not part of the remnant. If you're part of the remnant, man, God is talking. He's always talking. That's why Jesus said, man, I pray that you'd have ears to hear, like you could listen to what God is saying to people, and he wants to say it to us, and, and, and we learn the word, and the word, like, we marinate in it, we soak in it, and God uses it, and, and somebody yesterday, man, they wanted to, they said they got a word from the Lord, and they were a little nervous, they're new to the church. You're going to hear from them soon, I think, um, the Lord is up to something, uh, but told me, he said, man, that, that I, like, the Lord, I needed to share this with you. I was reading this verse, and it helped me to think about what's going on in the building, and he shared the verse with me, and and we did, I didn't get to read it right then uh, because I didn't have my glasses on. <laughs> and we got interrupted. And I went home and I read the wrong verse and it's talked about false prophets and stuff. I was like, why would he tell me that? And I was on the wrong reference. And it was, uh, it was out of 1 John uh, 4, uh, and I think it was 18, right, Jason? Yeah. And it said, there's no fear in love. And so he, he heard the voice of the Lord. And what did he do? He reacted to it, and he shared it with me. And guess what? I'm talking about it. I guarantee it. When he heard the voice of the Lord, he never thought that I would be talking about it on Sunday morning. But he listened. 
He walked in obedience. I was encouraged, and now I'm using it to encourage you. And that's what the remnant does, man. They hear the voice of the Lord. They walk in obedience, and God moves upon them. And, 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 and it's encouraging to think about. Um, and, and here's what I want you to think here in this takeaway. If you forget the ultimate, you will become slave to the immediate. If you forget the ultimate that God is speaking, you will become slave to the immediate about what is happening all around you. Now watch what happens from there. It says, and the word came. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your, your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Here's the second takeaway. You can't build his house if you're always working on your house. Like, you can't do it. So, like, they started on the temple. They laid the foundation. That's how far they got. They laid the foundation, and then they quit. And why did they quit? They quit because they were too focused on the houses they could see, and they were not focused on the house they could not see. Not all of them lived right next door to the temple. Probably not many of them at all. They lived out and around in different areas. And man, what do you got to do? I got to take care of my family, man. I got to work on the fam. The kids need a place to stay. I got to have money to feed them. And they kind of developed a syndrome, if you will. They had no vision of what the Lord was doing. They had no vision that the Lord had told them uh, that, that the decree had been made by a foreign government that they could go back into the land and they could rebuild the very thing that they were supposed to be centered on in their nation. And they got back there and they started and then they quit. He said, there's no place to live. I have to take care of my family. And, and so what I would say to you about them is you got to be aware or beware of sweet brown syndrome. Okay, you know what sweet brown syndrome is? Uh, <laughs> sweet brown is from Oklahoma, not sweet Georgia brown. We're talking about sweet Oklahoma brown. And shortly after I moved up here, we would watch the news uh, still from home because it took us a while to get used to the news anchors in Kansas City. That's such a weird thing when you go to a different place of visit and they got news anchors on and you're kind of like snobby, like I don't like them. And then after you like the news, news anchors, you go back home, and you're like, I don't like them. <laughs> so you get comfortable with somebody. So I would, watch, um, I would watch the news back in Oklahoma just to see what was going on. And, there was, and so there, you're going to know who I'm talking about soon. All right, so, so there, was, there was a fire that happened in Oklahoma City. And Sweet Brown is the African-American lady that they interviewed and they said, well, you know what happened? She said, man, I thought somebody was barbecuing. I came down and I said, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. And I ain't got, you know, I didn't grab my coat. I didn't grab my shoes. Ain't nobody got time for that. Now you know what I'm talking about. That's sweet brown. These people, when it came to the issue of taking care of the temple of God, they had that attitude. Ain't nobody got time for that, man. I ain't got time for that. I ain't got time. I, I, I can give a little bit. I can serve every once in a while, but I ain't got time to be totally consumed with the things of God. I got to take care of my family. That's the way the remnant was living. That's the way the people who say they're a part of, of the kingdom of God in our community are living. That's the syndrome of, of, of what has happened in the materialistic society that we live in. And we ain't got time for all that. 
Don't you understand how busy I am? I got to do all these things. I got to go all these places. I got all this stuff to do. And so they were saying, I don't have time for that. And the Lord says, you say, you don't have time for that, but I see you got time for this. So you got time for what you want to have time for. And so here's, the, here's something to write down. Activity does not equal accomplishment. Just because you're busy doesn't mean you're getting anything done. Your wheels are spinning, but you're going nowhere. There's no movement when it comes to the things that are central to our belief. When you say, man, I believe that Jesus is God, and that he's going to save me from my sins, and I'm going to live with him for all eternity. Man, I ain't got time to serve him. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, that, that, that is just asinine thinking. It's totally illogical. It makes no sense whatsoever to say, I believe that I can trust my entire soul to Jesus, but I don't have time to serve him. And so God is pointing this out to these people. And, and so uh, we, 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 we think about, man, well, well, what does that look like? Well, he tells us. This is pretty fascinating. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So it doesn't matter how much you're moving, you never got enough. You always got, you have no margin in your life whatsoever. You don't have no margin with time. You have no margin with money. You have no margin with anything, man. It just feels like you're being consumed. And he says, give careful thought to that, guys. And then he says, this is what the Lord says. Give careful thought to your ways. So he repeats himself. Then he says, go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain and new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock and all the labor of your hands. God says, because you've said I ain't got time for you, now I ain't got time to give you all you need to get done what I really want done on the planet. And so the Lord says he will provide for us. But it's a conditional provision. And the condition for the provision is that we are concerned about his kingdom. I'm reminded of Jesus. You know what he said? Seek ye first the kingdom of Christ, and all these things shall be added unto you. Okay, so when we look at this, here's the thing. What, what is the takeaway? Always, like this is a good practice for you, always contrast how you are living with how Jesus wants you to live. Like, so do this. Like, I do it all the time. I, I, and I find myself, God, I'm falling short right there. I know I'm not getting that done. And so what, why is that healthy? Because it makes me, it, it, it helps me to deny myself and take out my cross in these different areas of my life and live like Jesus. Because I'm always looking at how I actually am living and contrasting it with how the Lord wants me to live. And so when we do that, it's good for us to do that because um, as, we as we evaluate our lives against truth, it brings about greater transformation in our lives. And the more people that will do that, the greater the revival. And so we get movement. 
And so things start happening. They start getting mobile within the kingdom. And so here's, here's something for you to consider. Consider, not will my calendar be full, but what will fill my calendar? Like, what's going on in there? And, and if, if we don't start to evaluate, then what happens is we start to stagnate. And so the, the, the Lord tells us, man, consider your ways. Think about how you're living. Now, this is so cool. You're like, wow, geez, man, Jimmy's beating us up today. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Watch, watch this. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, what they do? They obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Here's the next takeaway. A disciple of Jesus hears and obeys the voice of the Lord. Okay, so I've kind of been building this case all the way up, but we see this is what happened. They heard this, and unlike what has happened in the former books that we were studying before the exile, they, they didn't stay in their sin. They heard it, and they, they, they repented, and they obeyed the voice of the Lord. If you aren't willing to listen and obey, here's what you need to understand. You are not being discipled to Jesus. You are being discipled to yourself, and you still look like yourself, not Jesus. That's why we're so committed to discipleship is to help people understand, man, the Lord continually calls us into uh, being discipled to him. He says, take up my yoke. What, what, when we say be discipled to him, what does that mean? You yoke up with Jesus and let him be the lead ox that's pulling the way. And we're right behind him and we're, we're doing what he's ask, asking us to do and we're discipled to him. And so when we listen we start to look, and we got to listen, and we got to obey. And so the Lord says something to us. Like we say, man, we're, we're having a, a baptism service next week. Listen. Have you followed the Lord in baptism, in believer's baptism? Listen. Hear his voice. If not, obey. Be discipled to him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. L listen to everything he calls you to do. If he prompts you to share a word, listen. And obey. Okay, so that's what these people did. And so uh, it, it, priorities are a matter of perception and practice. This is really, really important, okay? Some of you out there have the perception that you are following Jesus, but you have no practice. And you know the saying that perception is reality. It's reality for you, but it's not reality for truth. Okay, you can perceive that you are following Jesus, but if there is no practice, then your perception is betraying you. That is the postmodern world we live in today. Everybody makes up truth for themselves. That's why we're so screwed up in our thinking um, as a country and a culture, is because everybody believes that truth um, is relative and you can make up your own truth as you go. That's why you can decide what sex you wanna be, even though uh, anatomically it's already been decided. But you can change your mind, and you can say, nope, I want to be this. And so we, we, what happens is we want to have perception be the reality. But it can't be, and, and we have to understand that perception has to have practice in the midst of it, and that's when our priorities will shift. And so I'm reminded of James when he says, don't just be hearers of the word. Do what? Be doers. 
And some of you are so obstinate. I'm blown away that some people can be in the kingdom and, and they say, well, I know the Lord wants me to do this, but I'm not doing it. That's not being discipled to Jesus. Like there is no way that I could say, I know the Lord wants me to do something, but I'm just not doing it. Like that, that, that would terrify me. And so the Lord, like, we, we need to understand and go, men, what, is, what just came out of my mouth that I would be willing to say something like that? That I would be willing to say, I know God wants me to be obedient in this, but I'm not listening. That's scary, man, because the Lord just laid out when you're part of the remnant and you try to live like that, I will withhold from you. The blessing of God can't fall on your life because your child of his and his whole purpose for bringing you into the kingdom is not just so you could have a relationship with him and benefit, it's so that he could pour out blessing on your life and the gospel could spread through you as you are being discipled to him and people start to recognize this is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And the problem in America is we got all these people saying that I'm a disciple of Jesus and it doesn't look anything like what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and so people look at Christians and go, they're weird. They don't, they don't really believe what they say they believe. Because people, when you start walking it out, man, and they see it, they know you're being shaped by something outside of yourself. And so we got to be hearers of the word uh, and doers of the word. When God says something to you, man, obey it. Like, just step into it, and you will start to find God starts to move. Now, here, here's where it gets real interesting. Watch this. Then Haggai the Lord's messenger gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you. As we said, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the people. Um, no, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came and they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. And so the big idea, here it is. Let Jesus stir you up. You gotta let him stir you up. And that's what I'm trying to do in this message is, is that here's what we see from the time the word of the Lord came to Haggai and he delivered it. It took 24 days for them to start building the temple. They just stopped, man. And they go, whoa, I, I see what you're saying here, Haggai. And they started working on the house of the Lord. And so the people responded to the word of the Lord. And, and the Lord, like he loves, here's what the, the Lord loves to stir people up. He loves, to, he loves to keep us moving. And so what we talk about here at the church is we, we talk about divine momentum. Is there's, there's, there's two kinds of momentum as far as I'm concerned in the, in the church. There's manufactured momentum when we use our, our humanity and we use our human giftings to um, do all that we can just to make an organization grow. And then there is divine momentum when God starts stirring people up and the momentum just takes off and it starts rolling and you just try to keep up with the Lord. That's what you want to be a part of. This other thing is just a machine. It's not that much different than a business. And, and people, there are good things that can happen in it, but it is not what the kingdom is about. What the kingdom is about is that God starts to move in the heart of people, man. He starts to speak to them. He starts to say stuff. They start to listen, man. 
Amen. And as they listen, they start to obey. And then they get a story. And then they tell that story to somebody else. And then somebody gets encouraged by their story. And then they tell their story to somebody else. Man, Jason Holtzclaw is running around here talking about his story. If you haven't met Jason, I guarantee it, you meet him, he's going to tell you his story about how the Lord is using the church. That is divine momentum, man. The Lord at work doing something in our midst. And so I'm thankful for you responding to the word of the Lord. And I pray that we continue to move. I pray that we continue to move with what God is doing, not with what Jimmy wants you to do. It doesn't matter what I want you to do. I'm just a representative of the Lord. And so my job is not just to motivate you and say, oh man, come on guys, we can do this, you know, rah, rah, rah. My, my, my job is to equip you with the word that you can hear it, that you can listen to it, that you can walk out in obedience so that the Lord can stir you up and you start to have a story. And so my parts cry to the Lord is, Lord, I give us more stories. Give us more stories of your goodness, of what you're doing in and around and through us. And so we have a lot of momentum at OPCC right now. And it was starting there back in COVID when it first broke out. Man, you could feel it. And then COVID hit and it kind of set us back a little bit. And, 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 but we still kind of moved through it. And you can, man, you can just feel the momentum in this place. And I believe the lid is about to come off of it. And, and I think the Lord wants it to come off. I think our community desperately needs it to come off. But what it's going to require is for the stories to continue to happen. And so he's moving and we want him to keep moving. And so let him stir you up. When you put heat on something and you don't keep it moving, it gets stuck to the bottom of the pan, right? Put a little milk in there and turn it on and you don't... You don't keep it moving, it just gets st stuck at the bottom of the pan. You, you put um, liquid in something, you put another, like you put some sugar in some tea, if you don't stir it up, it just sinks to the bottom and has no power to enhance the flavor. But if you stir it up, man, put a little lemon in there and stir it up, then when you drink it, it enhances the flavor of the tea. And then, then the Lord said, taste and see that the Lord is good, man. And so like when he stirs us up, what happens is, is the, the taste of what it is to follow him and walk with him is enhanced for us and we get more excited. And the problem is, is we don't want the Lord stirring us up. Just let me stay right here where I'm at, Lord. But if we let him stir us up like he stirred these people up, then what happens is we start getting movement. And so let him stir you constantly and you will begin to taste and see that he is good. And so I'm going to ask Sean to come up. We're going to take communion here, but I'm going to give you some homework, okay? And here's the homework. I'm going to give you a spiritual exercise. And here's the exercise, is that every time you stir something, every single time, just pray a little prayer and say, Jesus, stir me up. Just stir me up, Lord. And what you will start to do is you'll start to think about the things of the Lord because the enemy is constantly distracting you and trying to get you to think about your house instead of his house. Now, as we get into this a little deeper next week, we're going to see um, that, that, again, we see like this is the teaching of Christ. Seek ye first the kingdom of Christ and all these things shall be added unto you. And this is also the teaching of the temple. And guess what his house is today? Everybody was walking around yesterday at the, 
the uh, festival and I, I kind of look like this except a lot dirtier. And I said, you know what my costume is? I said, no, man. I said, I'm the body of Christ. Like, this is, like that's what I am. And so as we think about this exercise of him uh, working in us, it's like we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so as we get stirred up, guess what house we're working on? His house. So don't, don't say, man, I ain't got time for that. You gotta go, man, look at what all I got time for. And like, what am I doing, man? I'm gonna be stirred up by the Lord. And don't be obstinate, man. When Jesus says, hey, I, I want you to step into this. Jesus, Come on, Jesus, stir me up. And just let him keep stirring you. And what you'll happen is, what we'll see that happens instead of there, you're just spinning there, man. And you're just spinning and spinning and spinning. All of a sudden, you'll catch a little traction and you'll start to come out of that hole. And the Lord will start to move, man. And when, when he starts to move, you'll start to pick up some speed. And if you'll keep letting him stir you up and keep, just don't stop. So, like it's so easy in the kingdom, man, when the Lord starts to stir us, is that we get our mind off of the thing that we really started in the first place. And we start focusing on other stuff that doesn't matter. And so now we're not letting Jesus stir us up and we just get stuck. And so what we got to do is, man, let him stir me. Stir us up, Lord. Like stir OPCC up. Stir the women in, in, in the church up. Stir the men in the church up. So they can rise up and be men that are yoked up with Jesus. Stir the students up, man. And we don't have a youth group where you just come to and you, you just have fun. But we have a youth group, man, you go into Blue Valley School District and you make a difference. Stir us up, Lord. Like November 3rd is not going to change anything. I don't care if Donald Trump is elected or if... if, if, if uh, Joe Biden. I had a Joe Biden moment. It doesn't matter. The only thing that's going to save our country is for the people of God to get stirred up, man. And when we get stirred up, then the people that we put in leadership will change because they'll be stirred up too. And the world will take on the identity of Christ and that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. So don't be a reason for the momentum not continuing to flow at OPCC. Just swear every time you stir something this week. Lord, stir me up. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.